Talk Work, a podcast that seeks to explore the diversity and complexity of Australian women's experiences of work. I'm Claire Conroy. Nearly seven years ago, sitting on a beach on Stradbroke Island, Vivian Mitchell had a vision for a design for a beautiful, unique, fashionable range of rash vests. In early 2015, she finally realised that vision with the launch of the fashion label Solar Bear. Despite having no prior small business or fashion design experience, Solar Bear has attracted a lot of interest, been included in Canberra's Fashion Fest opening night, and also as one of only seven startup companies included in the 2015 Griffin Accelerator program. In this chat, we talk about Viv's journey from that beach on Stradbroke Island to startup entrepreneur and what she's learned along the way. Like many women, Viv wears several hats, including mum to five kids. She's a thoughtful, warm and engaging woman, and in this chat, she provides a very honest reflection of her recent experiences of work. When you meet someone for the first time and they ask, what do you do? How do you answer? Well, I'm definitely in a period of transition at the moment. Um, foremost, I would say I'm a mum. I have five kids. But I don't really like to define myself as being a mum of five. So um, the period of transition that I'm in is that I've started a business this year. So I guess I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and I'm also a fashion designer. But saying that, is such change from um, my previous roles in stakeholder engagement and corporate partnerships manager to actually state that I'm a fashion designer still makes me smile with some degree of irony because I think it's kind of funny, but that's what Solar Bear is. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting that this isn't a role. It's a role that you've created for yourself, so there's no kind of job description, no no title that's been given to you by anyone else. It's yeah, I guess a, a job and a job title that you've had to create. So there's some, I can imagine there's some kind of feeling like, you know, when are you actually ready to claim that title? And and who who's the authority that can actually bestow that title upon you? It's so true. Well, on my LinkedIn profile, I have CEO and designer rather than fashion designer. And I think I didn't even, when I um, launched Solar Bear earlier this year in 2015, I didn't realise um, I thought of myself as a designer because I was going through a design process, but I didn't add the fashion label really until I was part of Fashion Fest, which is Canberra's four-day fashion festival, and then a lot of other people were attributing that label to what I was doing. And um, yes, yeah, so I'm a, a startup founder, which is pretty exciting, and I do design uh, fashionable rash vests. Right. Um, what I love about your story, and perhaps we can kind of go back to the beginning, is that, that I think it starts with the, I kind of almost the kind of like the cliched kind of flash of inspiration. Definitely um, does. So can you, I guess, take us back to, I think it was six or seven years ago um, when, yeah, when the, the vision for Solar Bear first started? Well, it really did uh, start as an epiphany on the beach. I... Um, I was holidaying with some of my dearest friends, um, girlfriends that I started school with all the way back in kindy. There were four of us and our, our partners and all our kids and we were sitting on the beach in Queensland at North Stradbroke Island and, you know, we were all really sun aware for our kids, not for us. Um, so they were all wearing really daggy little rash vests and some of them had full-on zip-up suits and the whole works. But that day I was just looking at all the beachgoers and I hadn't been there in January for a few years and I had noticed a really big change in the demographic of the beachgoers. A lot of them were Brisbane day trippers and they were high, well-heeled um, day trippers. So they were arriving in beautiful cars, you know, four-wheel drive Audis or, you know, Beamers and they all had very beautiful beach gear and a lot of money had been spent on swimsuits, board shorts, branded board shorts, the whole works. But the handful of parents who were wearing rashies were all wearing absolutely daggy black ones, you know, or blue. And I, I was really struck uh, by that um, disconnect between the amount of money that people were investing in that whole beach experience, yet arguably the most important thing was I don't know it was just like a last minute an afterthought and I th- I 
I really thought that day, gosh, why on earth aren't rashies beautiful? Like, why don't we make them really fashionable? And and that idea just kind of hit me and really quite strongly and I was gazing at the ocean and the ocean up there is that quintessential azure, you know, mm. gorgeous blue that you can see through, almost see the world underneath. And I was just struck by the opportunity of, well, the richness of the colour that lives under the ocean. And I had this full-on brain, I don't know, brain lit up, and I just thought, oh, not only is there a gap in the market, but I now have a creative idea um, to fill it. And so I had this idea to create fashionable rash vests with very distinctive designs um, and that idea would never, it just wouldn't go away. It was a really sticky idea. Yeah. So one of the things that I um, that we've spoken about previously that I thought was really interesting is that it kind of took you, you know, the number of years before you actually started taking action on this. And I'm interested in what, I guess, what changes or that you saw in the swimwear market, and then kind of what what was the final kind of prompt to actually make you think, yeah, okay, I'm going to actually do this. Um, there's definitely been some changes in the swimwear market, but the reason it took me so long to do it is that um, I had had 10 years out of the workforce. I'd done a tiny bit of paid work, but essentially had been a full-time mum at home for 10 years, and I'd only been back at work when I had this idea for about six months. And I really wanted to focus on um, just building up my expertise again and my confidence in the business world, building up connections. And that was very important to me to to re-establish myself as a, um, well, you know, as a career woman beyond being a mum. The professional side of <coughs> yeah, your identity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely wanted to focus on that. And and um, I didn't feel a sense of urgency at the time. I was 100% confident it was a really good idea and I knew I wanted to do something with it at some stage. But um, I did keep an eye on the market. So every summer I just sort of, as summer was approaching, I would look at what was available in the shops and for about the next three years there was pretty much no change at all and I wasn't... I didn't feel a sense of urgency, but about three years ago, um, definitely some beautiful prints and digital prints in particular, so digital fabric printing had moved quite a lot and I saw some really colourful, nothing like my idea, but they were very bright and vibrant prints and I thought, wow, there's definitely movement um, in digital printing but also... um, so that design process was really evolving, but um, there was a little bit of change in that um, rashy market mm-hmm. as well. Probably around maybe the end of 2013, um, I definitely was seeing some change in the market and I thought this is actually a segment that's on on the move. A couple mm-hmm. of the big brands had started looking at fashionable rash vests really as a bit of a just a, an add-on to their their core product being swimwear or surfwear. But, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that there was some interest there um, made me feel that if I was going to do it, maybe I should get on with it. Mm-hmm. And then I had two, um, two very significant personal life-changing events. Mm-hmm. My mum died and then um, one of the same four girlfriends, one of my childhood best friends also died of cancer and that happened fairly close together and um Wendy my my beautiful girlfriend lived in the south of France and she was like the hottest fashionista you could ever meet she was drop dead gorgeous six foot tall Mm. spectacular girl who was a singer in a a band Mm. with her husband and they performed on the beaches around Saint-Tropez and I had often talked to her about this idea and she thought it was really amazing and she was the only person in the world who has ever called me Mitchy. but she would say to me, Mitchy, when are you going to do this? And I thought when she was dying and then when she died, 
she would have rocked my designs and would have worn them so proudly. Yeah. And I kind of thought, if I can't do it for my mum and for when, like, yeah. when is something going to be important enough? And then I thought, yeah, it's time. It's time now. Yeah. So from taking that decision, yeah, I'm going to do it, um, and you have no background in no, fashion, design, <laughs> garment design, um, or you've never owned or managed a small business before? No. So what do you do? What's the first step that you actually take to, when you, once you decide that this is it? It's a, um, it's a very scary thing to, to do. Of course, I hedged my bets for a while. And when I first started playing around um, quite actively trying to start, it was last year. So um, I was working part-time and I just started some basic research um, Launching into a new industry, and in fact it was more than one industry because the fashion industry was new to me, the -hmm. creative industries generally were new to me, Um, starting a new business, so that sort of being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. startup world was new to me. So um, I I just kind of dipped my toe in the water a little bit and um, played around with very early concept and, and designs and I found that an immense challenge in itself. And then I, I also utilise my networks to um, explore how to actually take those early steps to get samples made and, mm-hmm. um, you know, also learning very fundamental steps um, about the processes in creating a garment. So, you know, you need a digital pattern maker, you need, well, the sketching, of course, you need to have a mood board and that whole concept that you can then convey to anyone else who has mm-hmm. to create uh, the actual garment with you and it was a very steep very steep learning curve and um yeah very scary but I think what you have to be confident about is that even if you don't have experience in an industry we all have transferable skills mm. and one of my friends actually said to me you're so fantastic at organizing events why don't you just pretend you're organizing event an event sorry mm. so when you're putting all the components together use what's familiar to you to help you yeah. take those steps. And that was really useful, really good positive um, advice Yeah, because it made sense to me. Yeah, kind of reframing it in that way. Yeah. So who were the, the people or the resources that you kind of drew on in those early days um, to kind of turn this into a reality? Um, <clears throat> one of the uh, people was a Canberra-based um she does, she's not really an active fashion designer anymore, but she's worked in the fashion mm-hmm. industry and has taught uh, students in the world of fashion. And so I reached out to her and she was very, very generous and warm um, in her encouragement. I had um, been pretty circumspect and not told many people about the idea because mm-hmm. I thought it was one that, well, I just wanted to keep it close mm-hmm. until I was ready to launch. And I, um, I did confide in her and she was, she found it, she responded so well um, that she was very keen to help. And so I learned a lot from her, the real basics of, of the steps that I needed to take to develop the, um, the samples and that sampling is an absolutely fundamentally important part of the design process because mm-hmm. without a, a sample, you know, you can't then refine and... Um, make tweaks as necessary. So, what, what's a, a sample that's just kind of a mock-up example of your garment? Yeah, it? it is. So, basically, you know, after sketching designs, you then have to um, have a pattern made that reflects what you're trying to mm-hmm. achieve. And the first couple, gosh, when I received them, I was so disappointed. I packed them away in a drawer. It was nearly for I know, two or three months. Because when they came back, they looked nothing like what I was hoping my garments to look like mm. and they were completely underwhelming and they really did put me off. And I just thought, oh, no, nah, this is, you know, this isn't going to happen. Mm. Um, but I actually took them out when he went um, back to Stratty in summer of, what well, last summer, and I got some of the teenage girls, my daughter and my friend's daughters to wear them and they looked pretty good on even though they were these rough samples and I was somewhat encouraged that there was potential and like a lot of garments they look so much better on than off you know once you try them on they kind of come to life yeah so yeah it it, 
the last few months has been just endless learning. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So um, one of the, I know, kind of know a little bit about your story, one of the really kind of pivotal experiences for you was Fest 2015. Yes. Can you share a little bit about, um, I guess, how that happened, how you even found out about Fest and the kind of the journey into into that kind of, I guess, fashion catwalk show world? <laughs> it um, Fest for me was a transformational experience and such a great opportunity. Um, Towards the end of last year, I saw a call out on social media for expressions of interest from Canberra um, emerging designers. And I responded to that and initially didn't hear uh, anything back. And I kind of thought, oh, I've missed the boat. And that was okay. But just before Christmas, I had... um, they contacted me to say, oh, we'd love to know a bit more about what you're doing. And I arranged to meet the producer for coffee. And I was still pretty cagey about what I was doing. And it, actually, this was the most amazing experience. And it really changed the way the next, well, my life has panned out since then with Solar Bear because I tried to describe to him without giving away any secrets that I was creating a range of designer rash vests and he looked really underwhelmed he was he was not you know I had this vision of me being a fisherman and I was reeling in a massive fish like a tuna and it was I was about to I was losing that fish and I thought oh my goodness I'm just going to have to actually you know trust him and tell him what my whole concept is so because Solar Bear has very distinctive prints yeah. and that's really the point of difference. So, you know, I didn't want someone else to have too much information about it. Anyway, I told him uh, the concept and about these prints and it was amazing watching his body language change. He shifted in his chair, he started smiling. He was like, yeah. wow, I really think you're onto something. And I knew he was genuine because he was suddenly super enthused yeah and um anyway just only about a week later they offered me a place as one of the designers yeah and that was super scary I can tell you Claire because because (laughs) this was becoming real this was going from an idea in that you could kind of keep hidden away in in your house with a few select individuals and this was now making absolutely and it's quite funny because about a year You'd say around May or uh, of 2014, I had actually thought to myself, I hope that in about a year's time enough momentum has built around Solar Bear that it's a thing uh-huh. because it didn't even have a name in 2014. Solar yeah. Bear only, um, I only registered it after Easter of this year. So, Oh, right. That was, yeah. that was even after you'd pitched to Fashfest. I was in Fashfest and had, for a few weeks, was operating under another name or intended to, ah. but um, it turned out. Um, you also have to learn a lot about IP when you're starting a business. Yes. And it turned out that um, potentially the name I had initially thought of could encroach on someone else's um, business name. So I made it a decision to go back to Solar Bear that I'd thought of just before Christmas and I had wrongly thought I couldn't use it at that stage. But in the next few months I'd learned a lot more about um, IP and I had redone a whole lot of searches and then engaged an IP lawyer to help me. And just after Easter this year we registered Solar Bear. so that, But that's not answering that. The question was about the journey, <laughs> the journey to um, to Fest. Oh. So, so I guess we back in December they say, or maybe early January, and they say, "Yep, you're you're, you're in. in." So then, then what happens? Well, I'm definitely a dead. I'm someone who works very well to deadlines. So a deadline driven person, and I knew for me that it actually was what I needed because I had been working towards this, but you know, in a very part time fashion until that moment. And once that was, uh, Fash Fest was, was um, offered, that was in May and this was January. So I, you know, had about four months to get the ideas out of my head, 
onto paper and onto the catwalk and that's what I call the concept catwalk phase. Mm. Uh, it was intense. And at this point you still hadn't seen a sample that you were happy with. You, you actually had no um, surety that what you had in your head could be translated into actual designs. That's absolutely true. In January when they offered me the place, um, I was then back at Stratty. As I said, okay, the girls yep. were wearing the samples. I um, talked at length with my girlfriend about, oh, my goodness, I have to now make this happen. And on the Australia Day weekend, which is when we got back from a two-week holiday, there was a first deadline. In fact, FashFest was a series of deadlines and it was really pretty great because what we had to do in January was um, supply the um, brief of how many models we were sending down the runway, what sort of models we wanted and how many of our designs they were wearing. So I had to make, it was a pretty arbitrary decision, you know, it could have been somewhere between nine and 15 garments and I thought 15 is way too hard. For some reason I settled on 13, I just thought that sounded like a good number. It was, and then I I had to um, tease out these ideas. So the first sketches I submitted were really rough but they did at least convey um, what I was doing and I had been doing quite a lot of work um, in the background on creating the prints. So mm. basically I was applying the colourways and then, mm. you know, the next step. So that was January. Um, not long after that, I don't know, sorry, that, that's not, the, they were choosing the models and all that kind of mm. thing and it was all very exciting but I had to... Um, get the patterns made for 13 different styles and the good thing was that um, my designs had there were basically three different lengths so one's hip length one's top of hip and one's a crop top for mm. example so I worked with a pattern maker to break it down into uh, there were sort of four basic styles with variations and and that made it a bit easier to facilitate the next steps but finding a digital printer was another mission um and I did some research and found one up in Sydney. And, you know, learning about digital printing was another industry um, mm. that I had no knowledge of. And so I supplied the design files um, to them. And um, part of the process that, you know, again, I was just learning the very basics. Um, you do what's called a strike-off, and so that's a meter-long fabric. And we just did a small tile of each one of the prints. Mm -hmm. Um, I did that on a, a matte finish lycra and also one with a beautiful luster um, and that was just a revelation because the prints looked, they looked lovely on the matte mm. but on this lustrous finish they just came to life. They absolutely popped. You hear a lot of pop, colour mm. popping in fashion and it was, it was actually quite incredible. Um, so it was a no-brainer to go with that the lustrous yeah. uh, finish. And then um, because the prints were all done, you know, juxtaposed against each other, they didn't necessarily match each other and it was very hard to get a sense of how they would look as applied to a garment. So then the next step was getting a metre of each print mm -hmm. um, printed out and, well, that was just another revelation. You know, it was six years after I'd initially thought of the idea mm -hmm. and to see these prints that were actually very beautiful and uh, yeah. I was at home, you know, I unfurled them on the bed and it did bring tears to my eyes. I just thought, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm so clever. <laughs> so how would you, I mean, obviously being in uh, an audio medium, you know, we, we can't show your prints. On yeah. the podcast. How would you describe your, your prints to someone? Well, they're very vibrant. Um, if you imagine the ubiquitous African prints that we've seen as you know applied to clothing or in household mm -hmm. textiles you'd recognize a giraffe print you know a zebra print mm -hmm. you know a leopard print you know we all get that this is a whole new category of prints so they're inspired from the ocean they're inspired by marine creatures mm -hmm. and so uh, they're very vibrant they have there's um, some spots there's some stripes there's some mm -hmm. um, they're very geometric and, in fact, I played with some of them so much that uh, I created some really uh, unusual 
uh, very geometric prints. And that was one of the things. Another, gosh, you just don't know what to anticipate when you're starting something new. There was so much maths involved in the development of the prints and the patterns. Uh, there was, you know, had to predict, um, well, be very good with symmetry and uh, just spatial, you know, trying to visualise how something would look. Um, the axis of symmetry changed completely what the prints would look like and it was, um, yeah, really after spending a day, just one particular day, doing a lot of work on that, at the end it was like, oh, I didn't know I needed my math spray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was quite fun. But the prints are, they're very vibrant. But what I love is that they're very distinctive and I'm pretty sure um, you won't have seen anything like them. And once you've seen a solar bear print, what I would love is that they are going to be so distinctive that when I release a new range in a year or, you know, for the following <laughs> summer, people will be able to say, ah, that's a, that's a, solar, that's a solar bear print. Yeah. So let's go back to um, you know, picking the models, getting the 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 strike off fabric made. Yeah. Then you need to go and get the, the garments made somewhere. Yes. And and then it's time for for fash fest. And there wasn't, I guess, how long? When did you actually get the garments that you were going to be putting on the catwalk? Oh, Claire, it was so so nerve wracking. So I was working four days a week until the end of February. Right. Um. I will tell you when the garments arrived in one set, mm. but basically I had lunch with a friend mm. who said to me in February, I told him about Fash Fest and it was in May, and he said, wow, well, that's fantastic. That is so fantastic. How are you going to make it happen? Mm. And he said to me, you can get a job anywhere, anytime, but you only have till May to change your life. And I just at lunch thought, whoa. I went home that night I couldn't sleep and I thought I only have till May to change my life and I printed it out and it was uh, on my fridge that you only have till May to change your life on the fridge for the next three months. I resigned the next morning. I thought I have to dedicate my 100% to this. This can't be a half-baked thing. This Mm -hmm. is my creative dream. This is my whole new Mm -hmm. life. So... um, how did that feel when you handed in your, your resignation? It was exhilarating. Yeah. It was, it was a wonderful thing. I didn't feel brave at the time. It just felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because, you know, I was in a, a very good role and the comforts of, you know, a regular good income, but my heart wasn't in it and... I immediately, you know, my world changed and I started working from home and wearing thongs every day and having my cat or my dog next to me as I was designing. And even though I'd stepped into a world of uncertainty, I felt very much more in control Mm. of my destiny. And that was a a really beautiful feeling. But um, there weren't many weeks, you know. No. (laughs) There weren't. And um, it took you know, probably three weeks to get the fabric happening Mm -hmm. and then you have to allow time for them to print the fabric, which, Mm -hmm. you know, so every process took longer than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I was new to this and I didn't know any other fashion designers because it was a whole new realm, I didn't know that it was actually quite commonplace for designers to be working to the wire Mm -hmm. for a a show. But um, I got... A couple of samples in um, early April, and I do mean a couple, like one or two. They weren't even in the prints weren't applied as they were going to be for the runway show, but it was more about seeing what the silhouette of the garment was like. And they were pretty cool. In fact, they were gorgeous. I was very excited by them, and it, um, we one or two of them did need a tiny bit of amendment, so it was a very instructive and useful. Uh, step to take but that meant that timings were getting very tight they also had to be scheduled in with the um the manufacturer Mm. so you know her program of works um was still running as well and so it was all very nerve-wracking and I actually only got the samples um 
Fashfest was on Wednesday. I was on opening night. On Friday, so that's five days before or five or six days, I got about half the garments and, you know, felt yeah. really great. It was so exciting to get them and at home and, you know, my daughter and I had a great look through them and we tried them on mm. and it all felt very encouraging. Monday came and Monday was the first uh, dress rehearsal. No more garments came. Tuesday, the day before, mm. I got the final delivery mm. and I just had to accept my fate and not be too stressed yeah. by it because I couldn't change anything. I just had to believe that I would receive. Yeah. And I did. Um, they arrived. So the day before the show I got my garments and that night I put them on the girls at the uh, full drip. Well, they didn't have hair and makeup but it was a mm. dress rehearsal. And that was the first time I'd seen my collection together. What did that feel like? It felt fantastic because they looked really good. Yeah. And I thought, I've done this. I've actually... My vision has been My realized. vision, yeah. yeah. It was really exciting. And so what I knew was the next day being the actual show, I didn't need to... I was nervous and excited, of course, yeah. but I was confident. And that was a really big game changer because I knew yeah. I could go in there with my head held high and and yeah. feel like I'm happy to show the world these designs yeah. it was yeah. very exciting yeah and what was the what was the response to to the um to your show at Fashion Fest it was really great yeah. I got a lot of feedback from people saying well the sort of feedback I was hoping for which was we've never seen anything like this yeah but it validated the um there was some really lovely media reviews the fact that we were even <clears throat> part of Fash Fest validated that it was uh there really was um oh sorry fashionable rash fests or fash fests mm. as I've called mine mm. and that's a marriage of fashion and rash fest and I've trademarked that name but they had the place mm. in fashion on the runway so, mm. yeah, it was really, really exciting. But importantly, I think um, I really liked that I felt the, the higher order of the world was at play here and didn't want to let me get a bit carried away with my newfound status as a fashion designer. <laughs> so that afternoon, like the actual day of the show, yeah. my youngest boy, um, <clears throat> he'd had a lump in his arm for quite a few months and we'd had it investigated previously but he needed to go to the um a pediatric surgeon and that was three o'clock on the day mm. and you know of course I took him and to me it was just the greatest leveler it was like you might be launching your first mm. um range of you know your first collection tonight on a runway in front of media and a big crowd but you know today you need to be a mum and in you know, and so it was just, it just reminded me that we always are doing these things along with everything else that we yeah. do. And, you know, when we have families that, that is, you know, central to who you are and all these other things that we build are built around that. Yeah, I, it's actually a good point. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was about, um, I guess, thinking about the, the positive benefits that you think that being a mum has given you and how they translate into business because I think certainly my experience in becoming a mum and I think it's very easy to think about the things that having children, um, how they limit you in your career or the things that they take away, you know, particularly in terms of time and, um, you know, perhaps ability to focus. But but I think there's a flip side to that. There's actually some some real, I guess, some, some skills or some perspective mindset. So I'd love you to talk about how you think your experience as a mum has actually added value to your experience as an entrepreneur? I think um, being a mum has, without doubt, I don't think it limits people in the mm -hmm. workplace at all. I think it it just, it, it's the great enabler because you have to be an amazing time manager. Mm -hmm. You also have to be very adept, as you know, with working with unreasonable people <laughs> and you know kids don't necessarily want to comply to what you want to do in the time frames you want to do it so you know you're wrangling a team of sometimes um, ungrateful and sometimes 
challenging and difficult little personalities. But of course, there are, I mean, I just think that is highly transferable. And mm. I absolutely believe that um, parenting skills are undervalued in the workplace and in fact should be regarded a whole lot more highly because we learn a lot about our own capacity for leadership. We learn a lot about our own capacity for kindness and as teachers. And it teaches you a whole lot of, well, I found um, a, a state of calm that mm. you can, I don't know, you can really only achieve when you've been pushed to the absolute limits and you're, you know, you're sleep deprived and I've been sleep deprived, I feel like, for the last 20 years. I mean, mm. unfortunately, it just never ceased mm. to go back to how it was. And um I've learned a lot about me and I've grown so much through being a mum and really um, I've relished that role and adored it tremendously and um, I just learn from my kids all the time. Mm. And some of those skills are transferable into the workplace too, you know. Mm. They might teach me something about technology or mm. social media that I can then apply Mm. Even though they always think I'm doing it really badly. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, with yeah. the yeah. daggy mum yes. uh, sort of thing. But yeah. No, I think um, our experience as parents is um, a really growing experience. And so, as an entrepreneur, when you're trying something new, and particularly perhaps um, when you're starting a business, if it's a creative thing that you're doing it is an extension of yourself mm. you're really putting out there your I mean this will be the same for any designer or, or artist mm. you know you're, you're painting or you're creating or you're making furniture that is an expression of of who you are so it's like having another baby yeah, And I really uh, struggled with something earlier this year when there was an opportunity to work quite closely with a girl up in Sydney who would have taken some of the, um, well, she would have quite actively managed a few things for me. But I didn't end up going with that because one of my friends here in Canberra just said to me, Viv, you've got a brand new baby being the, mm. you know, being my my business and she said you wouldn't you wouldn't let her you wouldn't be sending your six-week-old baby to mm. daycare mm. and she just said it like that and it just made so much sense to me it was like oh my god no I wouldn't yeah you know I would have been a hands-on mum yeah with brand new like baby. nurturing and nurturing every wanting to see how they grow and develop yeah so how do you think that your kids have benefited from seeing you embark on this experience? <laughs> I don't know if they've always benefited. I've cried a lot this year out yeah. of frustration, out of being challenged to the absolute max. And, you know, yeah. this, uh, deadlines such as Fash Fest. And also I pitched to um, be uh, part of the Griffin Accelerator 2015 program, which is a startup accelerator program. And that was a competitive process. And um, I then also had to pitch um, about Solar Bear and tell the story to quite big audiences, you know, 50 or so mm. in both Sydney and Canberra. And so um, I've had so many firsts this year. So while I think it's been absolutely fantastic for the kids to see um, me create these designs and start a new business and they are definitely proud of mm. my efforts. They've also travelled that journey with me of the mm. highs and lows because when you're starting something new, um, you know, there's bound to be setbacks and there are always you make mistakes and you have to be really good at, at learning from those mm. mistakes and quickly implementing change and and you have to be able to get back up. So I suppose yeah, the, resilience. Been, the mm. resilience part has been a really good, um, you know, when they've had tough times at school, for mm. example, and I've definitely over the years said things to them like, uh, you know, if this term's not going well, <clears throat> you know, if let's just wait the whole term and see mm. how things pan out. You know, we won't give up Stick yet. Stick with it a little bit, yeah. Stick with it. So when I was sort of thinking, oh, this is getting too hard, then I think, mm. but I always tell the kids, you know, I've got to do a whole term. So, mm. you know, I'd be like, oh. I find I measure um, a lot of things I do in school terms. Yes, right. Just because it is a, you know, sort of three-month yep. 
period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been good for them, I think, because yeah. they've certainly seen a whole new, um, well, such high-level creative output. And I've always been creative but not in a commercial sense before. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's cool. Yeah. So how about we jump back to the, I guess, the, the journey through this year. So after Fash Fest, you spoke just briefly about the Griffin yeah. Accelerator. Can you tell me a bit more about that experience, why you wanted to do it and, and what, what you got out of that experience? Um, the Griffin Accelerator program uh, was an opportunity to um, connect with the sort of startup ecosystem in Australia and, well, in Canberra in particular, when I heard about it, I thought it would be really cool to pitch because, um, you know, I hadn't started a business before. And as you mentioned that in your introduction, even though I have um, across 30 years a, a really, you know, strong and diverse career, I hadn't ever started a mm. business. So I thought it would be a really good opportunity to to help me with that. And then I, I did pitch, in fact, the week before Fash Fest, I pitched uh, to Griffin so that it was such a big week because you know it was one hat on mm. one hat off um, but I was accepted into that and that was the second really big validation for Solar Bear that not only is this has its place in the world of fashion this has its place in the world of startups where they invest in ideas mm. so it was um, really exciting to have business people who weren't necessarily into uh, fashion mm. but they could see the opportunity around the idea. I'm interested that you just said that they invest in ideas because my impression is that they also invest in the people. They you know, do. The, the idea um, without a founder who can actually execute on that idea so I'm interested in your perspective about what what you think that they saw attractive about you as a founder and the experience that you had I think it's that's a really um, important point and observation that you just make because I have had feedback from uh, the the mentors that it very much in my instance it was an investment in me as well they do yeah. invest in founders yes so while they knew that um I didn't have business experience as running a small mm. business they absolutely did know that I had managed some very high profile mm -hmm. um events in Canberra that I had um really strong people skills and that you know uh, I think they definitely saw uh that I was a founder with a vision and mm. that I brought a lot of experience. And I had a conversation recently with a commercial lawyer who I hadn't met him before and he was kind of interviewing me, I mm. guess, and he asked a lot of similar questions and he said um, it was really lovely. He just observed that um, it's quite likely they the investment is very much in the founder mm. as well as the concept. So I think you're right. You can't just have a good idea but be someone who is not either um, capable or um, positive. You have to, when you're, um, when you're starting something in business, you absolutely have to have that passion and energy mm. to be the visionary. You have to be able to to tell people what you're trying to achieve and for them to, to buy into it for all different reasons. You know, they may believe in, um, you know, for, for mine, it's not only about fashion, it's very much about sun protection because mm. we have the highest incidence of melanoma in, yeah. in the world. You know, Australian mm. speech culture is fantastic, but it has mm. a downside. And um, to be able to, to articulate that, you know, this is very much about enjoying that beach culture mostly, safely, mm. you know, for kids and adults and why do we have to compromise on style mm -hmm. to do that? It's sort of a, it's a simple concept in a way, mm. but simple ideas are often good ideas mm. and I I did love that, um, you know, I think they, that I was a woman was important to them, a woman, um, there were three women found or three teams mm -hmm. um, of women founders accepted, which was really cool, so that's 50% mm. of the intake. Um, I think that I was coming to entrepreneurship at a very different stage of life as, mm. you know, 
a mature entrepreneur, I guess, um, and that that my life experience and, you know, we talked about parenting, I think all those things really give me um, my skill set is, is very diverse and it's also quite, I don't know, um, it's broad and, mm. and lots of skills that I can bring to this journey. Mm. So, yeah, it's... Uh, being part of it, uh, the program has been fantastic because the opportunity to connect with networks, not only here in Canberra but beyond Canberra, is amazing and people are so willing to help. It's been such a beautiful experience to see very accomplished and really successful business people um, wanting to uh, give back to that sort of business world. And I've worked in um, areas such as um, with philanthropy and, and donors um, a lot previously and you know some people choose to give back through volunteering or some mm. philanthropists you know look, help the arts or they help non-profit organizations and you know these people are motivated to help other businesses start and so the network of mentors are so generous with their time and that's been a really fantastic thing mm. um, they open doors yeah um, and one of the things we were talking about just before we started recording was um, kind of the, the like the isolation of being in the kind of the startup world. And so I imagine that having actually kind of been kind of inserted into a community of, of people and mentors m- must have been really, really valuable. But I'm interested in your yeah. thoughts about how, yeah, I guess how you manage manage that being, being it. You, you are Solar Bear. And, um, yeah, so where do you get your support from now? It's um, being a, a sole founder uh, definitely means you spend a lot of time on your own. And I mentioned a little bit earlier how when I first left work at the beginning of this year, I really loved mm. being at home, being able to wear thongs and, you know, just design on the coffee table and do mm. do all of that. And it, it was really it just felt so cruisy and, I mean, it was, mm. I was working to a deadline, but it, it, I loved the lack of structure initially. Mm. But now it's a few months all on. I think um, what has become clear is that you really do need to continue to tap into those networks mm. because being part of the Griffin Accelerator meant that um, I was meeting a lot of other people who, while they're all entrepreneurs, we were all at very different stages of business uh, a couple of them had been running for a couple of years. Some had been through other um, programs to help, you know, uh, get them on their way. Um, you know, mine was brand new, mm. brand new baby sort of thing. Um, but we could bounce ideas of each other and we, we had weekly meetings while the, the course was still, um, it was a three-month program, you know, weekly meetings to talk about our achievements, highs and lows and and goals for the week and that was really good to keep us accountable. Mm. I think one of the main things is that if you're working from um, home as I am at the moment that um, you still meet regularly with mentors or people who can Mm. hold you accountable because Mm -hmm. one of the the things I found very hard is that um, when you're on your own a lot, everything becomes, it's almost like 50 shades of beige <laughs> because the highs, there's no one there to high five with. Yeah. Sometimes you don't realise how good a win is at the time or you feel it's good but, you you know, doing a little happy dance on your own is not quite the same as going into an office and having someone mm. say, woohoo, you know, this mm. is really cool. But likewise, if something isn't going well, I think that takes on a bigger, um, you, yeah, you ha- it's very important to stay connected mm. and that's something that I've definitely um, found very different having been working in, you know, government or non-profit roles for the last few years where there's always a team around you and mm. a lot of banter and, you know, you're just getting that daily connect. Mm. Um, so I think... There are quite a few people around town and who are actually looking at creating those pop-up offices and those co-working spaces, and mm. it's definitely a really good idea mm. yeah. to maintain that connection. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in in you sharing your 
advice for someone who wanted to, you know, like who has an idea and perhaps thinks, oh, I'm, you know, I think I could give this a go. What's your advice for, um, for particularly women who might find themselves in that, that kind of position? I definitely encourage anyone to go for it, but following your dream is not for the faint-hearted. It takes courage. You really do feel like you're jumping off a cliff again and again and again, and you hope your parachute's open. Mm. It's, um, it is so much harder. Now that I'm a few months into this, it is so much easier to stay in paid employment than to build something mm. out of nothing. So you absolutely... Um, you need to consider a whole lot of things. Some of them are not that sexy or exciting. Mm. You know, will I have a steady income? How how important is um, that change in income, for example? Mm. They are questions that I didn't really think of earlier this year. Mm. But it's an it's very empowering and it's really exciting to see something grow. And sometimes you don't even realise how much you've achieved until you stand turn around and look back and think, Mm. gosh, you know, like I can say that this year. In January I was standing on the beach saying I'm going to be launching at Fest and I didn't have anything on paper Mm. and I now have um, a website, I'm selling product direct to people, I've, you know, got other customers who are stocking Mm. in store, I have you know, created beautiful textiles. Um, yeah, it's and you know, a, a range of garments, and I'm mm. already thinking about my next collection. And it's, um, it blows me away sometimes when I, you know, think about that. I've you know, just been part of an expo up in Sydney for a couple of days, and so all sorts of exciting things have happened, mm. but you, you definitely need to be courageous. Mm. You need to um, have stamina, you, absolutely. You know, it's this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon and you have to be able to pace yourself and be prepared for the highs and lows. So resilience is a mm. huge part of it. Um, it's, it's, as I said, not for the faint-hearted. So it would be easy, I think, you know, easy to say oh I've had enough enough of this Mm. not me necessarily but you know you are faced Mm. with that oh gosh this is really hard question Mm. quite a lot and um you know to to keep smiling every day can Mm. be hard if you've had setbacks but Mm. you know you have to um you definitely have to keep going and then when allow yourself to celebrate the little wins Mm. or the big wins because they're super important yeah um, I think that a couple of the things that you said about, I guess, you know, just believing that your designs would show up on time and, um, you know, you mentioned something about it perhaps kind of being sent some kind of message when you had to take your son to the pediatric yeah. doctor. Um, I wonder if there's an element of kind of just faith and belief, not necessarily in a religious sense, but in a just a like kind of like just like trusting that if you put yourself out there, the universe will kind of take care of you in a way. That is, is, is that kind of your, your experience? It definitely is. And I'm actually, um, I'm a great believer in that stars align and serendipity mm. and, you know, mm. things just do fall into place. I mean, it's not without hard work and it's seriously hard work. There's mm. no doubt about it. But I think if you... Um, you know, we're all creative souls. Uh, some of us don't really want to express that and or we express it in different ways. Even, you know, accountants I'm sure are expressing some degree of creativity through their figures. But <laughs> when you're creating something that's very visual and, I mean, I get such a kick out of um, when I get photos back, for example, of seeing my designs on the beach or if I've taken some photos mm. of the garments and I know and I'm looking forward to this, I can't wait till the day, hopefully this summer, when I actually spot someone who I don't know wearing solar bear mm. on a beach and I think that's going to bring the most enormous smile to my face. I'm really excited by that. And 
you know, I've just had such lovely feedback from people saying, wow, you know, this is such a cool idea. We just love it and they're so yeah. beautiful and and um, it's it's super encouraging. Um, so that might be a good point to talk about just um, kind of your market and, and how you're, I guess, where you're taking Solar Bear um, because you, you spoke about, you know, wanting to change beach culture a little bit to yeah. be more sun conscious um, and I think that that's, you know, like that, that's a really interesting part of it. But I also wonder if there's, you know, like body image and beach culture, there's a whole range of kind of issues tied up there. Um, and there's possibly a lot of women in particular who who want to cover up and are looking for a fashionable way to, yeah, yeah not necessarily just for the sun protection but also for kind of body image perspective. So I'm kind of interested in, in who, are, who is your target market for the products and, and how are you um, – how are you reaching and, and, and marketing your product to them? Um, when I first um, was developing the product earlier this year and the garments, my uh, the target market was absolutely the sort of, it's known as the AB demographic, so typically about 25 to 40-year-old and mm-hmm. um, females in mm-hmm. that segment. So, you know, they're quite um, affluent, they're well-educated, typically mm-hmm. live in mm-hmm. cities, they have a high discretional spend. But, um, and they are still uh, the key market. But what has been really interesting for me is that while I've been creating these beautiful designs, and a couple of them are crop tops, mm. So, you know, that's definitely quite appealing for younger uh, girls and teenagers have really embraced Mm. my designs and that is a really important segment Mm. for a whole lot of reasons because teenagers, you know, you can imagine they abandon hats. There is no way they want to look uncool. So for them to embrace sun mm. protection or sunwear is is a really good, healthy mm. thing to do. And they, you know, can also become wearers of, you know, these garments for a long time. But your general sort of question around um, confidence on the beach, I think it's a really important part of what I'm hoping to achieve with Solar Bear mm. because confidence, you know, helping women to feel confident on the beach is such a great thing to do Mm. and if they can um you know even if uh they wore a zip zip up uh fash vest as a more like a cardigan Mm. you know a bit of a a cover-up or a little jacket they can i want people to feel sexy and feel great when they're on a beach because a lot of us really sweat over you know god damn beach Mm. what am i going to wear you know how much do i am i going to reveal and if you're you know, not 25 anymore, you're thinking, oh, I used to like wearing a bikini, but I probably can't get away with that anymore. And so this offers something really pretty different that you can unzip or zip up if you want to show a bit of cleavage, look a bit busty or mm. not. You know, mm. I I love that um, these garments just offer a new solution so that, you know, they tick a few boxes. They They offer sun protection and that's you know, the central mm. sort of premise of what they do. But they also offer, it means you don't have to compromise on on how you look. So to market to these women, um, I'm actually trying to talk to them through my own experience as a mum now. I'm starting a whole series of um, blog posts that I'll be releasing in the coming weeks and very much just telling if you like, funny family stories about how often mums are the last ones to, you know, they look after their kids, yeah. they cover them with sunscreen or they put their hat and their rashies on and they pack in the car and the last person they think about is themselves. Mm. And here's something that they can actually pop on and look fantastic. Yeah, They can be sun smart but they don't need to even think about it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, can squish down, doesn't need ironing, for mm. example. And so... I think, you know, this is very much about not only just sun protection but it's about how women lead their lives and that we so often are nurturing other people that we forget Mm. or we just don't have time to nurture ourselves or we feel guilty about doing it. So, you know, I'd really love just to be creating something that... um, that people can relate to. You know, it's that whole we're all in this together really Mm. and, you know... Looking good on the beach 
gets increasingly difficult as, you know, you could almost argue with each kid that you have, for example, in my case, you know, mm. after five, it's like, oh, my goodness. But I still want to look mm. good when I'm well, not only on the beach, mm. you know, out mm. and about. So I really hope it helps empower women to feel confident. Yeah. And they're also versatile, so on and off the sand. Yeah, great. So where can people go to find out more about Solar Bear um, and the products you have? Um, if you visit our website, it's www.solarbear, that's B-A-R-E, solarbear.com.au. Um, we have garments um, for sale online and um, in the next few months I hope there'll be quite a few outlets around Australia that will be stocking Solar Bear as well. But the website will give you all the information and you're also on Twitter and Oh, Facebook yes, of course. Instagram. Instagram yes. yes, yes. Instagram and Twitter and, yeah, yeah. Facebook. Great. Yeah. Well, Viv, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Claire. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Women Talk Work. If you'd like to hear more interviews with Australian women, you can subscribe via iTunes or stream via the website www.womentalkwork.com Thanks to YWCA Canberra for their support for the podcast through the Great Ideas Small Grants Program. Bye.